and welcome to Food Navigator Asia's monthly podcast, the FNA Food and Beverage Trailblazers. This is a series where we speak to and get to know more about groundbreaking food and beverage startups in the Asia-Pacific region, as well as the people behind them and their stories. I am Pearlie, the editor of Food Navigator Asia, and as always, I am your host for this series. Joining me today is Sandhya Sriram, co-founder of Singapore-based, cell-based seafood firm Shok Meats. Shok Meats is the first clean seafood company of its kind in Southeast Asia, and is relatively young at that, having been launched just recently in August 2018. But already, it has made some really big waves in the industry and raised about $5 million in investments. In addition to being Shok Meats co-founder, Sandhya has also been mentioned on Forbes as an inspiring woman in tech and will also be giving a TEDx talk in January 2020. Now, Sandhya, first of all, very welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Pearlie. Pleasure being here. Thank you for inviting me and I'm very excited about this podcast. I'm very excited too, I assure you. Let me just start off by asking you, like, why cell-based seafood for you and like, what drew you to this in the first place? Yeah, for that, my answer is why not? <laughs> so <laughs> being in this part of the world, being from Asia Pacific, we actually consume a lot more seafood compared to red and white meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so when first, uh, when Kai and I first started Shiok Meats uh, in August 2018, uh, we were thinking about which kind of protein to work on, what's going to be unique for us. Um, what can be an asset in terms of a pattern that we can file, also what excites us as founders and as scientists, and the answer kept coming back to seafood. And of course, it has to make business sense, and when we looked at some numbers, uh, we were blown away by the multi-billion, trillion-dollar industry that it is in Asia-Pacific. Asia is the biggest exporter and producer of crustaceans and mollusks and some of the other seafoods, um, so that kind of all, I mean, all of that answered the questions and the doubts that we had. And it came down to saying that let's do crustaceans. I understand from the Singapore Food Agency that local authorities here in Singapore are looking at approaching cell-based meats and other alternative proteins as like an entirely separate sort of novel foods category. They said they've done like public consultation on this, and I'm sure you were part of that. So what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think I agree with it. It is a novel food. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, every cell-based meat company wants to say that, yes, our meats are still meats, which is correct. Uh, we, It's the same nutrition. It's the same taste, same composition. It's just that it doesn't come from a dead animal. But when you think about it, it is a novel technology that is making this meat. So if they don't categorize it as novel food and just put it under any other food, then the consumers are going to be very confused. The companies like us are going to be confused in terms of how do we market this, how do we label this and so on. So I do agree with the Singapore Food Agency or the other Asian food agencies that are thinking of labeling this as novel food. What sort of timelines do you think we're looking at to achieving proper governance? I know it will definitely differ from like for like different different countries and so on, but roughly as a whole, like maybe in Singapore, do you think that it's going to move forward very quickly? I think so. I mean, I am actually very positive that Singapore might be the first ever country to approve cell-based hmm. meats. Singapore does, uh, you know, take this very seriously and does uh, move things fast. They do move the needle a bit faster than the other countries for sure. Very optimistic. Let's hope so. (laughs) 
that yes. he, yeah, yeah. Um, all right. And I think the other point that I, I would, you know, since I have a cell-based meat expert with me right now, I would definitely like to talk about because a lot of people have been talking about this for sure. Price points. Like, for, mm. for what I remember, Shock Meats launched your shrimp dumplings earlier this year, correct? And how much was that basket of like a few dumplings again? If you could refresh my memory. Yeah, it was about uh, $4,000 to $5,000 <laughs> for the eight dumplings. But that includes, you know, manpower yeah, and yeah, of all of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, but right now we are at about um, a $7,000 a kilogram. So we have made a good progress from where we were. Uh, it's not 5000 for just <laughs> eight dumplings. Um, but having said that, we have made quite a bit of progress on the side of things where we are saying by the end of next year, we should be at a price point of about uh, $50 a kilogram. Mm, uh, okay. So that's very much affordable. Uh, hence, uh, you know, Shiok wants to launch as early as 2021 in restaurants in Singapore. Mm, yeah, I mean, I'm really glad to hear that because I distinctly remember you telling the audience that only sniffing the dumplings was allowed, but not tasting. <laughs> I was very, very sad. Mm, so soon. <laughs> yes, I am hoping for that too. Okay, so I would say we've talked a lot about the company, a lot about the industry, but now I would like to find out a bit more about you, actually. Sure. So actually, my background is stem cell biology, uh, hence the stem cell company, as you might see. Um, But about four years ago, I quit doing scientific research and actually took up business development with ASTAR, Mm. um, where I was trying to learn the business side of science and also working on, you know, commercializing academic research. How do you kind of bring it out into the market and so on? Um, around the same time, uh, crazy enough, I started my first company, which was called Biotech in Asia, mm-hmm. uh, which is a science news web- website. So my first taste into entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Um, that soon led on to my second startup, which started off being a career mentorship platform for science students because a lot of people were intrigued by my career options. And that kind of led into a mentorship kind of a platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, But eventually that became an event company. So we run a lot of science workshops and events as part of that company. So both the companies are afloat and they are running, but I don't manage them anymore. As you imagine, I don't have any time. So, (laughs) yeah. And then um, early last year, I had kind of made up my mind to quit what I was doing full time and actually start some sort of a company Mm. um, that would be in line with my education which was stem cells Mm. um so between between cell-based meats and uh something to do with healthcare Mm -hmm. uh cell-based meats won the (laughs) won the word word (laughs) in my head and that's exactly how i started chiok so yeah could you just tell me a bit more about some of the personal and professional challenges that you have seen in this year and a half since you launched shock meats Sure. I think the first challenge started off when we started the crazy company. So um, literally when Kai and I started this, uh, we told ourselves, listen, we have a $10,000 angel investment and we need to pull it as long as we can with that. So let's not take a salary for about a year. Um, Let's borrow from our husbands. (laughs) And then we said, let's figure this out. Let's try. Unless we try, we're not going to know because... Literally, there was no academic research out there for isolating stem cells from shrimp. Mm. Nobody knew how to do it. So we pretty much went into a lab, 
uh, cut open a couple of shrimps and figured it out literally like from scratch mm-hmm. um so we had taken the biggest risks of our life but that was the most exciting thing mm-hmm. and uh, i mean we we gave ourselves 12 months but within 3 months we knew we were on the right path mm-hmm. uh that things were working out for us we had raised about half a million dollars by then which is great so that means we could go on without a salary or with a minimal salary for quite some time so that's kind of how things mm-hmm. started so but when we told people that we were doing this we received a lot of backlash actually hmm. especially in asia uh, the reason being they said oh my god two crazy female scientists oh. quit their job out of the blue they have an idea they have no patent they've never tried an experiment but they've already quit their jobs what are they going to do they're going to fail they never raise money all of this happened within mm-hmm. asia but we were expecting this because asia is very risk averse very what do you say the mentality of asians is have a job get a steady yeah. paycheck you know Very keep your family happy yeah exactly mm-hmm. but when we ran this idea through silicon valley investors and some investors in europe and australia they were so excited mm-hmm. for us so we could see the market difference between uh, people <laughs> here and there so those initial investors and collaborators who believed in us brought us to this level the next is things have moved pretty fast for us as you mentioned we did raise quite a bit of money which was kind of the biggest i would say seed round for any cell based meat company uh globally things have moved a bit fast in the sense people thought oh these people will only launch in 2023 or 2025 but we are actually going to launch in 2021 mm. so i think the expectations of everyone is pretty high so you know keeping up to that expectation letting people know that yes we are working very hard we are getting there but just give us some time to get there you know like because when you say 2021 people expect oh that means you can do it by 2020 itself mm. and i'm like mm, not really <laughs> <laughs> you know sometimes it comes to a point where um i mean i'm i'm very honest about this and i'm talking as an entrepreneur not as ceo sure of meets but as an entrepreneur your morale is always affected by these things mm. but at the same time you also look at the bright side of things you look at what a wonderful team you have built what you've achieved in the last 16 months mm-hmm. see the support the positive side of things and see how your family is supportive of everything how your co-founder is supportive of everything and that kind of keeps you mm-hmm. up and that passion up and that strive up so you know i keep saying this but i can't wait to get up every morning mm. to do what i do and i think that's the way everybody should be doing what they're passionate about like sometimes i do say this and i actually uh you know i kind of believe in it as well i feel sleep is a waste of time for me <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i actually i literally sleep because my body needs it mm-hmm. uh but it's like i can't wait for you know the alarm to ring in the morning and pretty much like i'm like yeah let's go and do what you're supposed to do meet wonderful people meet your team go look at the cells see what's happening <laughs> in the lab i think it's just super exciting all right so yeah i mean that that was actually my next my next question like um you know what has kept and keeps you going despite all of this you mentioned like for a familial support you know um support at work um passion for the for like the job is there anything else you'd like to add i think i want to stress again on the family support for sure <laughs> um because i've had a lot of scientists you know come up to me like i mentioned i do mentorship for a lot of scientists mm. and they always come up to me and say how do you manage life literally like how do you manage work and life and your kid and your husband and expectations from mm-hmm. your family and so on 
Um, I remember. I still remember in May or June last year, I had basically told my husband, uh, "I need to have a long conversation with you. Um, this is how life will look like for the next couple of years if I'm doing this. Uh, you pretty much will not see me for a long time, <laughs> and I'm going to be borrowing money from you. Uh, I need you to take care of our son." Mm-hmm. Um, I need you to handle his school and his needs and so on because I pretty much won't be there for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I find time, I'll make sure that I give all my time to you, both of you, and that's important for mm-hmm. me. So I think being honest about that is important. A lot of entrepreneurs are very scared, mm-hmm. um, but I think if your family is supportive and they understand, they will definitely understand. And my husband was like, "Go for it, you know, just go for it. You have to do this." and I think it helped that he's an entrepreneur himself mm, so yeah I think he understands it a little better mm-hmm. and he basically said fine I'll take a little bit of a back seat in my business I won't you know expand it too much so that I can stay in Singapore I can be not traveling too much so that you can take the front seat and you know push towards full gear and yeah I think that's very important same thing with Kai mm. actually Kai's husband lives in Australia so oh. they are on a long distance relationship for a couple of years now uh, but I think the understanding between them also is that she needs to do her thing he needs to do his thing mm. and um, they take time off uh, every few months to be with each other and I make sure that Kai doesn't work during those few days so mm-hmm. that's important yeah yeah right now getting to where you are is there anything that you wish you had known when you started out in the beginning or anything you would have changed i think i've learned my lessons during my first two startups so i think in this startup um i was in with a very clear head mm. um, you know things what i've learned is um what kind of investors you're not supposed to ever approach mm-hmm. uh, which kind of investor are the best to deal with mm. what kind of collaboration or partnership should you start i think now the knowledge of how not to waste time is much more mm-hmm. um but i wasted a lot of time in my first two startups learning a lot which mm-hmm. is i mean i wouldn't say waste i would say you know spent a lot of time learning a lot of things mm-hmm. um how to especially what not to do mm-hmm. in my first two startups that actually helped with this startup so i think you know third times a lucky charm i guess so <laughs> yep. uh the third time is actually working out to be very effective and i think that proves also as to why things are moving accelerated for us as well um we aren't making the usual mistakes that entrepreneurs mm. do make in their first companies yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean along those lines like do you have any advice for uh, those entrepreneurs out there who are looking to set up a company or go in the same direction that you are going in just do it <laughs> just go for it believe in yourself if you think your skill education and perseverance and passion is there just do it uh mm-hmm. but give yourself a timeline like like let's let's decide you want to try something for the next 6 months or 12 months or even 24 months uh but if you're not able to succeed trust me all things don't work out mm. so if something doesn't work either pivot or quit it or change it you know like do something else mm-hmm. and honestly if you're so passionate and you're skilled and you're educated you can always go back to a job uh it's not like if you do a startup and you fail you'll never get a job back <laughs> mm-hmm. um so i think i would say just do it unless you do it you won't even know whether you like it whether you can do it and whether it's mm-hmm. useful enough to do it mm-hmm. yeah 
would it be possible to share a little bit about like you know the investors you mentioned like what sorts to go for what sorts not to go for and you know that kind of very technical thing so if you are a deep tech company like us which involves a longer runway to getting revenue and you know getting into the market and so on uh, if you are st- if you are placed in asia uh, the best is to go for high net worth individuals mm-hmm. um, angel investors uh, friends and family mm-hmm. and smaller vcs not the really big ones um, because these are the set of investors who have a longer lifespan of investing money So if you go to a high net worth individual for example he's not in an immediate need of return you know mm. because let's say he's a wealthy millionaire or a billionaire he's probably invested in a couple of companies and of course he's placed his bets on some companies that will yield a return very soon and some companies that he's so passionate about especially because it's you know ethical and sustainable mm-hmm. and you know something to do with climate change and something like that um then he's willing he or she is willing to put a money in a money into you know money into that kind of business that would probably yield money in about 10 years only mm-hmm. so these people are willing to take that risk so you have to approach people who have that open mindset of course when you raise your first set of money and you are in the market is when bigger vcs will come and that's when you approach the bigger vcs mm-hmm. um but having said that you always start building relationship with bigger vcs from day one you don't ignore them completely you start building the relationship tell them you have you know send over a pitch deck tell them you want that first meeting most probably they'll say yeah we'll listen to you but now it's too early for us come back to us when you're in the market and then when you come back to them in 2 or 5 years time you have that point of contact mm-hmm. and they already know your business and once they've heard that business and the idea and if you're ever mentioned in the press or a conference or somewhere they're like oh yeah i've met that person i've heard of that company i know what their business is and then they also you know think about what's happened in the last 5 years for them to invest in you um when you're in the market mm-hmm. so these are some of the things that i've learned and that has effectively worked for us as well all right um yeah I guess one more thing I'd like to ask is like where do you see yourself and shop meet in the next 12 months and 5 years down the line Sure in the next one year what we hope to do is um reduce the price of the product like I mentioned mm-hmm. to $50 uh, per kilogram by the end of next year uh, but at the same time we're also in the midst of trying to raise another small set of funds to set up a manufacturing plant in Singapore mm. um very clear i'm very clear about this we have not run out of money <laughs> the the money that we raised initially which was a 5 million is meant for r&d because right now we have also started working on crab and lobster mm. so we still need money for r&d for that um what we see in the next 5 years is at least another 3 to 4 manufacturing plants around uh, asia mm. uh, where we are producing uh, enough shrimp uh, and hopefully crab and lobster meat also by then uh to serve in a couple of uh, restaurants at least in different parts of asia all right very cool i look forward to um the price coming down next year so i can yes. go and get myself some <laughs> shock shrimp for sure yeah all right so yeah that's all i wanted to ask so um thank you so much for joining me today sandhya i had a very good time talking to you yeah perfect thank you so much i'm glad to have been on this and can't wait to listen to the other episodes and the podcast as well 
All right. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening to this podcast as well. And I wish everyone a very good day ahead. For Food Navigator Asia, this is Pearlie signing out. <laughs>